0: following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30 or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida or online at westpines.org. Thank you. Well, thank you and good morning West Pines. It's such a delight to be with you. I, as Roby said, have had the privilege of uh, uh, knowing him and some of the leadership of the church over an extended period of time, and now have the privilege of meeting you and ministering the Word to you, and uh, really have looked forward to this day. uh, This church has a very good reputation, a very good standing within not just this immediate community, but within this region. And uh, I just commend you. Thank you for being what you are to uh, this South Florida region. Uh, I have the privilege of being part of what is called Church United in this region. And we're gathering leaders together and churches being mobilized to collaborate uh, all the way from, from Miami to West Palm Beach. And uh, here in the Broward County uh, is really the area where it's finding its, its, its primary traction. And this church is one of the anchor churches. And so I really just salute your leaders. They are so open-handed, magnanimous, just gracious leaders uh, also reaching out to others. And so thank you very much for what you mean for, for this region as a church. I... Uh, have this privilege of sharing the word with you and uh, felt challenged to speak about us being sent into the world uh, I grew up as a as a young Christian with this idea and thought that actually the the objective of Christianity is we we should try and see how many people can we get out of this world but uh, But there is something about an understanding that once you have stepped out of the world and that you recognize that Christ has done something in your life, changed your life, that He wants to get you back into the world. Uh, I remember growing up, one of my favorite texts in the Bible was, I am not of this world. And I'm convinced of that because that's what happened in my life. Christ came and made me a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of a new dispensation and reference, and uh, I'm thrilled about that. And if you're thrilled about the fact that you are not of this world, would you just say amen? Amen. But you that are not of this world, God has a purpose for you to send you back into the world. Now, I read that one day when I was reading Jesus's prayer just before he was about to die, and um, leave this earth. And he prayed, in the prayer he says, I pray not only for my disciples, but I pray for all of them that are far off that will believe in this word. So in essence, Jesus was including you and I in this prayer. Now listen to what Jesus prays. This is referred to as the high priestly prayer. And we read it in John chapter 17, and we kind of cut in at verse 15, reading through to verse 18, John 17. Jesus says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that they sh- you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You see, there's my favorite little text. But I discovered that this text is in a bigger context. And the context is really God's purpose and plan and agenda with the world. And then he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I had a bit of struggle with this this portion of Scripture. I often thought, Jesus, why did you pray this? Until one day, I got a revelation. And I got this revelation when I was trying to set my dog free from fleas. So I'm going to share with Liberty this morning the parable of the flea. I had a dog that had fleas and I decided I was going to start at the tail end and I was going to comb through the hair of the dog and every flea that I could find, I was going to capture and set my dog free from fleas. Don't know if you've ever tried it, but it's a pretty challenging exercise. So here I am trying to catch the fleas. A friend of mine arrives and he says, "Ask me what I'm doing. I explained to him my project and he says, Alan, but why don't you just go to the flea, uh, to, to the store and buy a flea collar? Well, there's an idea I never thought about. So I went to the store, got the collar, put it around the neck of the dog. And within three days, all the fleas are gone. I'm amazed. I'm intrigued. I'm trying to figure out how did the fleas at the tail end know there is now a flea collar around the neck of the dog and it's time for them to get, I mean, how did they know it was a flea collar? I had the instructions with me. I never explained it to them. But somehow they knew it's time to get off. So I I went to my friend. I said, you better explain to me, how does this work? He said, well, it's pretty simple. He says, on this flea collar, there is a powder. And when the dog moves, the hair brushes against the collar. The powder is released. And the powder sits on the neck of the dog. And then it's assimilated through the skin into the bloodstream. And it builds up immunity in the bloodstream. And now as the blood circulates through the dog, when the flea at the tail end now bites the dog, the flea dies and the dog lives. And so I said, hallelujah, I now understand John 17. Because this is what Jesus was praying, right? Father, I do not pray that you take them out of the flea nest of this world. Put them right in between the flea. It's a new translation, okay? But do something to them. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Let truth so find opportunity in their lives that it will empower them in such a way that when they engage the world, They will not be affected by the world, but they will affect their world. This put me on a journey. Because what is this truth? What is this truth that has so much power that it can so empower a human life, that it can so strengthen a human life that you can enter into a damaged, dark, broken, confused, sinful world and not be intimidated or infatuated by the world, but you can enter into that space with conviction. What is this truth? We see, this truth is summed up in a a word we often use, the gospel. Now, Now, the gospel is good news. You see, the word gospel means, Evangelion means good news. Here's the thing. Good news is only good news if it is good news. You know, I've listened to some people share the good news. It does not sound like good news, man. If you take the good out of the news, it's no longer good news. But here's another thing you need to understand. Good news is only good news if it includes you. I have a friend in South Africa. He has a farm. So he phoned me the other day. He says, Ellen, I have good news. I said, well, share with me. He says, they found gold on my farm. So I'm on the phone. I'm saying, oh, that's good news for you. (laughs) Unless you were thinking of including me in this. (laughs) You see, then it becomes good news for me too. Right? I mean, good news is only good news if it includes you. And and here's here's the thing that you need to understand. There is... There is a reference that you need to discover yourself in because the good news of the gospel is recorded when Jesus Christ paid the price for us at Calvary. We're gearing up towards Easter. But we have to understand what happened in that moment because, you see, that moment now defines our lives. That's where the truth is. That's where we discover what it really is which empowers us to live this new life in the world. It's within that moment, which is good news. But we have to understand that that moment, that recorded moment when history recorded the death of one man, eternity recorded the repositioning of humanity. We were included in that moment. It's amazing since I've come to the U.S., I've discovered you are a pretty sports crazy people. I've been invited graciously to a few sporting events here. And of course, your sports are very different to ours because we play rugby and cricket. And so I don't really understand your sports. So I'm sitting there in the stadium watching it, but I'm fascinated with the fans. I don't know if you've seen the fans when their team wins. Something happens to them. They suddenly get an attitude. They don't walk, they move. They... And if you ask them who won, they answer you, we won. So what do you mean we won? You did nothing, man. They <laughs> say, no, hey, when they win, I win. I'm included in that moment. You see, that recorded victory, that which is now recorded as a win, as a victory, suddenly has a bearing on their lives. It has a bearing on how they think, how they talk, how they engage with people, how they feel. Everything changes suddenly because there is a victory that has been recorded. Folks, this is the good news. 2,000 years ago, a victory was recorded, and you are included in that reference. You see, his triumph is your triumph, his victory is your victory. Because he wins, you win. I'd say that's good news. And so, we have to understand. What does that reference mean when we say we are included in in that recorded victory? Well, you have to understand it at three levels. First of all, you have to understand that truth that you are included in that reference in the fact that you discover that you died with Christ. When Christ died, the Bible says we died with him. We died with him. We were buried with him. Our old inferior life in Adam was dealt with at the cross. What does that mean? You see, Adam subjected us to the authority of sin and darkness. It had legal right over our lives. We were controlled by an external force called sin. It had a legal right over our lives. But something happened to us in that moment. Jesus legally broke the right of sin over our lives. He set us free from darkness and brought us over into the kingdom of His Son. Something happened in our lives. Romans 8 verse 2 says it so beautifully. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. You've got to understand when the Bible there speaks about a law, it's speaking about an authority. You see, if you leave here today, you get in your car, and you start driving on the freeways around here, you will see every once in a while there is this board that has a number on it that number is the speed limit now for some people that will be the biggest revelation you're going to have all day <laughs> that literally means you should not exceed that number in terms of the speed of your car all right but you can decide that your car is able to do much better than that and you can you can take to where you want to feel comfortable with it will not be long they have this little ceremony that takes place where there's lots of lights and lots of sounds and they pull you over all right and then they come to you and say sir you have broken the law you you are fined." now you can take that fine you can crumble it up throw it away and say I'm not going to be intimidated like this In terms of uh, people telling me what I can or cannot do. The fact is, if you do not pay that fine, it will not be long or you're going to receive a letter. You are invited to an event. (laughs) Now you can decide, you know, I'm not going to go to that event. I don't even like the people that are there. I I don't go to those kind of places. And you don't show up. If you do not show up, it will not be long. They're going to send people to visit you. Why? Because you see behind every law, there is a government, an authority. So when we talk about the law, it represents authority, governance. Listen to the scripture again, Romans 8 verse 2. For the law, the government, the authority of the spirit of the new life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law, the government of sin and death powerful but not only did we die with Christ the Bible is very clear that we were also raised with Christ we were raised into newness of life we were raised into resurrection life we were raised into this newness which is a new idea. Identity in Christ. You see, no longer does Adam define who we are. We are now defined in Christ. If any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he is a new creation. Something happened to us in Christ. We are now new creations in Christ. There's a new nature that we are a partaker of. We live from a new reference in Christ. Why is this so important to understand? Very simply because identity precedes activity. You see, the way you perceive yourself is the way you live your life. The way you think about yourself is the way you engage with others, with life, the way you perceive who you are. If you do not discover your new identity in Christ and deeply entrench yourself with this understanding of what you have become, you will always live as the slave thinking that you are not worthy, not good enough, you don't qualify because you do not truly understand who you are so you have to discover what that means. Why? Because we have to enter this world. And we don't want to be intimidated by the world. We want to know who we are when we engage the world. Therefore, you have to be secure in your identity in Christ. But not only your identity in Christ secured, the Bible says we not only died with Him, we not only were raised with Him, but we now share in His triumph and we are seated with Him in heavenly places. That's your new address. That's your new position. What does it mean to be seated in heavenly places? It means you now occupy a position of influence, of authority, because you've discovered who you are, and that becomes your environment from which you now function. You know, um, back home in Africa, we have lions. And I don't know if you've had the privilege of being close to a lion In very close proximity, looking into the eyes of a lion without a fence between you. Very recently, my wife Liana and I were on a safari together with actually some church leaders of our city, and we did this safari together, and we on the safari vehicle went into this big game reserve area. And then you drive around and you look for the animals. And when you find them, it's very exciting. And so we find lions and uh, there's a whole pride there. And uh, they're very lazy. They just lay out there. But we stop not far from them and we're watching them. And one of the male dominant lions decides to get up. He's very intrigued about this thing that just arrived. And uh, so he's coming towards us. And so the, the guide tells us, Just don't stand up because the lion thinks this is one big animal. If you stand up, you break the line, and then he knows you're an individual, and then he'll go for you. Okay, so I'm sitting in the vehicle. I'm right at the end, and I don't know if you've ever seen those vehicles. They don't have doors. And this lion is coming straight to the vehicle. And the guy behind me has this fancy camera, and he's taking photos, and it's making this clicking sound. And the lion is intrigued about what is happening. And so he's coming straight for me. And I realize, I pray. I say, Lord, I pray, first of all, that the guide is right, that the lion thinks there's one big animal. Secondly, I don't know if I'm going to die or I'm going to kill someone today. This is a precarious position. <laughs> Those times you pray, Lord, I'm your property, protect your property. Anyway, so as the lion is coming closer, I look into the eyes of that beast. I tell you, the blood drained out of my body. There's something about that animal that is so incredible, he, there is, he's unintimidated. I mean, he's coming to, he thinks this is a big animal that's arrived, he's coming to check it out. There's something about a lion in its natural habitat that is the most amazing thing to see. But you know, if you took that lion to a circus, and you, you bring it to the circus where somebody starts to whip that lion and it breaks something in that lion and that lion becomes an anxious beast when it comes into that arena you can see it's anxious it's running around it's out of character suddenly it's running around because the whoop is cracking all the time and now the lion starts doing tricks because we've adjusted its behavior to the applause of the people and the people think this is so fantastic because look what we've done to the lion and the lion does those tricks but you see the lion didn't internalize that behavior because I promise you when that lion goes back to its cage it does not sit in the cage and practice the tricks Why? Because there is no whip. And you know, many times in Christian circles, we have reduced the good news, the gospel, to behavioral modification. We want to adjust people's behavior, so we grab a few scriptures, and we throw the scriptures at people, and we adjust their behavior, and we adjust their culture, but we haven't affected their nature. They haven't come to the realization of who they truly are in Christ. But if you take that Animal, You take that lion and take it back to its natural environment, its, its open space environment. It becomes fully lion again. Folks, that's what we do. We don't in the church adjust behavior. We introduce you to who you are and the space in which you live. In Him do we live and move and have our being. That's what we do. Now, when that happens to a human life, when a human life starts growing in this knowledge, in this understanding, and you become mature in your understanding in Christ, the full stature of Christ in your life, it changes the way you do life. It changes the way you function every day of your life because something deep has happened in your life. And you see, this world, this world out there desperately needs us. It needs to discover what it is when you truly live from this reference of the good news of your inclusion in Christ and the truth of God having captured your life. You know, in in Africa we have this saying, I know you've used it here, it takes a village To raise a child. And literally what that means for us is that your context, your world, your village, influences the way you see the world. It influences your worldview, your beliefs, your values, your behavior. Everything is affected by the context in which you find yourself. I mean, since coming here, it's so weird for me. Do you realize... you? you guys are so different. I mean, you play your football with helmets on. And then you ride your motorcycles without them. (laughs) And you think that's right. It's your village. Listen, it's far more than just helmets and motorcycles. It's It's the way you perceive reality. It's the way you interpret life. It's the way you believe what is right and what is wrong. It's the way you engage reality is affected by your village. Now listen, if it's true that it takes a child or village to raise a child, the question bodes, who raises the village? Who takes responsibility for what our village will believe? The values, the convictions, the context of our village. If we as Christians are absent in that conversation, then some godless, secular, humanistic people will define our village. We not only have the obligation, the opportunity, but the mandate as Christ followers to engage within the context of our village. We have to. And it's within that framework, if we understand who we are, you see, truth, when I discovered that truth was not just there to get me into heaven, but truth was actually there to empower me to engage the world, to be able to engage this flea nest of the world, to be able to function within the context of the world. But you see, many times we as Christians, we are very much like the people of Jerusalem. Uh, oh, they love Jerusalem. It was, oh, Jerusalem was Jeru Shalom Shalom meaning peace. The city of peace. Peace for the Jew was not the absence of war or the absence of the negative. Peace for them was the presence of the positive. That word is translated many times in the Bible. Completeness, wholeness, health, safety, soundness, tranquility, rest, harmony. All those concepts are the concepts within This idea of shalom. If uh, Nehemiah completes the wall and it says, and Nehemiah completed the wall in 52 days, that word complete is the word shalom. He shalomed it. He completed it. And so it is in many other references in in the Bible. The fact is, they loved Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the city of God. It was the construct of the way God ordered things. But there was another city, In the Bible, about 450 times, Babylon from Genesis all the way to Revelation is the anti-type of Jerusalem. Babylon was everything that Jerusalem was not. And so the Jews despised Babylon. If a good Jew wanted to insult you, he would say, man, go to Babylon. And then the unthinkable happens the babylonians come they conquer jerusalem they break down the walls they take the people of jerusalem all the way to babylon there they're sitting in babylon they can't believe what's happened to them now they're praying to god god get us out of here and in that context god speaks to them listen to what god says in jeremiah 29 verse 11 and we often quote the scripture as christians but God is speaking to them this word in Babylon. He says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of shalom, peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is within Babylon. It's God, you're going to give us peace here in Babylon? But it must have been verse 7 that really rocked their world. Because listen to what the scripture says in verse 7. It says, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. It's God's, I mean, the must have rocked the world. Lord, do you want to tell us you're actually in this? You brought us as exiles all the way to Babylon? You know, many of you feel that way many times. I know tomorrow many of you will be driving to work without necessarily entertaining thoughts of peace. And you're praying, Lord, get me out of this place. This is a reckless place. They don't know you, Lord. They don't even want to adhere to you, Lord. And God is saying, I have brought you here. I can't say with certainty that you have to be in that job. But what I do want to say is, how else will we get the shalom of God into Babylon unless there are agents of shalom that are prepared to go into Babylon to carry His peace into that space? We've been called to make a difference in Babylon. You know, I come from Pretoria. Victoria is such a decent city. It's a a clean city in the sense of there's there's not much stuff that you see on the billboards and the, you know. Then I come here to Florida and I know I'm in Babylon, man. (laughs) Now, here's what I want to say to you. God is bringing people into this place. South Florida is desperate. For the purveyors of shalom, the carriers of God's peace into the city. You might say, what difference can I make? Where do we start? You know, that's the way we felt as a church, Doxodeo, many years ago. When we started down this journey, we said, what difference can we make? We feel so overwhelmed by everything around us. And then God started speaking to us from a portion of Scripture in in Mark chapter 6 which is the story about the feeding of the 5,000. And in that story, there's a few principles that have really governed the way we engage our community. The first one was when we discovered the difference between the disciples and Jesus and uh, the disciples who had concern, but the Bible says Jesus had compassion. And we, we coined this phrase, moving from concern to compassion. Now You will remember if you know this story, the disciples saw the problem. They saw that the people were hungry. But they immediately knew they did not have the food to feed them. So they go to Jesus and the way they want to address this problem is, let's send the people away. You see, that's what concern does. We send the problem away. We hope somewhere someone else will take care of it. It never becomes our responsibility. But compassion Looks at it in a different way. Compassion says there's a reason why we are here. There's a reason why in this moment we are aware of this issue. And compassion says I'm going to get involved and I'm going to trust God for the provision. We know the disciples are then challenged by Jesus. He says go and break up this group into groups of 50s and 100s must have been a challenging exercise. I mean, they're not trained in crowd control. Now they have to go break up this group. The people have been in the sun all day. They are hungry. I mean, if they're anything like my wife, you don't mess with her if she's hungry. You feed her, and then we dialogue about the issue, right? Now, these people are hungry. I mean, they must be irritated. It must be a bit of a a moment, you know, and so they're breaking them into groups. So they come back to Jesus, and then Jesus takes the bread and the fish, and the Bible says he blesses it. And then he breaks it. You've got to understand, Jesus does not break the bread and the fish and build a whole reserve so that the disciples feel really secure. You know, at least now the fish and the bread, there's enough of that. You know, reserve now matches need. He does not. What does he do? He breaks the bread and the fish. He puts it in the hands of the disciples. Here they stand. Everyone with a little piece of bread. A little piece of fish. And Jesus says, Guys, go feed the people. I just see that disciple. <laughs> Can you feel the tension of that moment? I want you to feel the tension of that moment because it's in that tension that we live. Always feeling, I'm not sure. What what will they say? What will be the result? And then, but because Jesus said, they'll do it. So I see that disciple going down to a group of 100 and then deciding let's rather start with a group of 50. (laughs) I see him breaking that first piece. I guarantee you that first piece was a small piece. Why? He's a smart disciple. This stuff's got to last. Break another small piece. Hey, can you imagine the first guy that got the first piece? <laughs> so this is it. You guys went to all this trouble for this. Now I can just see him trying to explain. <laughs> and then I see him breaking another piece. Then he breaks another piece, and as he's breaking the pieces, it feels as if this stays the same and he breaks a bigger piece and he's just starting to test it. My goodness. A bigger piece. Bigger piece. Bigger. Hey, hey, hey! Help yourselves. Why? Because the Bible says they picked up twelve. Baskets full. But here's the principle. You see, many times we don't want to start because we feel we have so little. The principle is just start breaking the pieces, just start doing. You know, for some people it might be you go to the work tomorrow and you're just gonna have an encouraging word for somebody. You're just gonna you you're just gonna be there as someone that will be positive. You're just going to share something. You're gonna put your hand on someone. You're just going to be, you're just going to start breaking the pieces. For some of you, you'll be in a boardroom where you'll be making great decisions that will affect many people's lives and and you will choose on the side of kingdom instead of on the side of personal gain and you make that decision in the knowledge that you're breaking bigger pieces and as you break the pieces, you will find the grace of God in that moment. So here, as we close, you have to understand that when you leave this building today, you leave this building as someone that is sent into this world. You are commissioned. You are released to go as an extension of this ministry because you represent the kingdom of God. Whatever you do this week will be the extension of this church within this community. You're going into Babylon to go and make a difference. So receive the commissioning of the Lord as I bless you this morning. Father, I thank you that in this moment, for every person that's hearing this word, Through your Holy Spirit, you you come in your love and you arrest our hearts and you align us to your purpose, to your agenda on this planet. Lord, that we will be instruments of grace wherever we are in this week. We will not be intimidated by the the harshness, the the attitudes, the, the way other people do things. We will be the light. We will be the influence that you've called us to be. I thank you that we can mobilize this community into their destiny in Christ. I thank you what you're going to do through individuals by just starting to break pieces of your grace, of your goodness, of your love, of your wisdom within this context of a very broken, damaged, and needy environment. We thank you for that, Lord. Be glorified in every life, that has heard this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.